0: this is the send talks podcast from Galdards. Hello everyone um, today we have Alex Foster who is the assistant head teacher at the Unicorn School. The Unicorn School is a uh, dyslexia school in Oxfordshire and we've we've been working with the school for a number of years and it is just such an inspirational place and yeah. we've seen so many students go to the school, do very well and be able to I think, complete their education and kind of follow their kind of career choices. Um, for me, um, as someone who's severely dyslexic myself, and I remember walking into the Unicorn a couple of years ago to see it, it's just a very happy place. The students there seem like they are really adored by staff and they all feel like they are part of something really special. And I remember that feeling when I was young and I went to a, a special dyslexic school um, called Appleford. And I think the reason why I felt like that at the time was I was it was the first time I was in a setting where people really understood me, where I actually could access the learning. And importantly, I wasn't the one person in the classroom with difficulties. Everyone had the same difficulties as myself. Um, So I'm I'm going to allow Alex um, to introduce herself. um, And I was going to ask her to kind of, I suppose, give her journey, first of all, to getting to the unicorn, because I think it's a really interesting one. And um, then we'll kind of talk about what the Unicorn does and I think um, how it helps students and the journeys of those students to the school. And then I think about talking about future projects like the Phoenix School, which is um, one that the Unicorn are looking at at the moment.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, It's really, really great to be on and talking to you. Yeah, I'm really proud to be here representing the Unicorn School. As you say, it's it's a wonderful place and we're we're really proud of it. Uh, In terms of my own personal journey to... To this point, um, I think I've I've always had an interest in special educational needs. Uh, I've got a family member who was had special education needs, and when I was a teenager, I used to do play schemes in my local town in Easter and summer holidays for children with a really diverse range of needs. Um, then after university, I worked in publishing for five years, and then stayed at home with my children before becoming a childminder, and then when my children were old enough. When I was looking to go back to work, I decided this was the, the, the best opportunity for me to sort of explore that interest I had in SEM. Um So I started working in a special needs school as a teaching assistant, um, Fitzwarren School in Wantage. And then from there, I did my PGC, my teacher training, became a, a class teacher and also did a outreach to mainstream schools, which was training staff on SEN, but also advising them on particular children in their care. Um, and then in January 2020, I joined the Unicorn School just in time for lockdown. So I've been there three and a half years and um and really love it. It's a fantastic environment to work in.
0: Alex, um one of the things when we talk to parents is that kind of journey I suppose for students who get to the to the unicorn school. I think, sadly, it can be quite a similar story. If I shared you my own, I was in a a kind of mainstream classroom. Um, I really couldn't access any of the learning in that environment. But I, I was a bright student. I could understand what was being taught. I just couldn't write it down. And I couldn't concentrate on what was happening in the classroom. And I suppose I became quite disengaged with learning. And I think I was that classic kind of classroom clown type. I think... When a lot of students, I think, come to the Unicorn, I think there's unraveling of that to start off with in terms of the kind of the well-being aspect, which has been the effect of being not being able to access learning, as well as um, um, addressing the kind of dyslexia needs. Is that something you guys see when when students come into the school?
1: yeah absolutely it is that it is that combination of us meeting their their sort of needs from stemming from their dyslexia but also from their self esteem from levels of anxiety because a lot of children come to us who have had that experience in mainstream school where they've tried to keep up they they're aware of the difference between them and their peers and um, and they do come to us and where their, their self-esteem is quite low so mental health is something that's it's not a sort of a separate intervention we have it's just completely embedded in everything we do because it's so essential for our children that they they feel they're in the right place a lot of them talk about sort of finding their people when they come here because they've spent such a long time um feeling different and obviously when you're when you're eight or nine a year is a lot longer because in terms of your your sort of point of reference and they feel like forever they've been the only one and then they come and they they talk of finding sort of finding their tribe finding people like them and not feeling different anymore and it's it's just transformational in terms of their approach how they see themselves as learners and just how they see themselves as individuals really so lovely to hear isn't it because a lot of the time we
2: find that parents and sometimes children themselves like when they are 8 or 9 they think no I'm fine where I am it's not that bad are, you know, I, I don't need to go to a special school in inverted commas. Um, and they think that they're going to be in, you know, in a in a school with children who have severe learning difficulties, for example, um, and they'd rather just kind of grit their teeth and bear it. But what, what are kind of the the transformative changes that you see in your students that come who have got that history. And a lot of them do have that history of going to mainstream school for so long and kind of just hiding in the background at the back of the class, not really, um, you know, participating in the class because they have these difficulties, not not really wanting to be a problem. What What is the the transformative change between a child that has just come or to a child that has been there for about a
1: year, for example? Yeah, it's a really good question, I think, and, you know, a lot of our children, we sort of almost talk about, they they hide their light to a degree, because for a lot of children, they, they're at a point where they don't want any attention on them in the class, they don't want to be sort of put, putting themselves in what they would perceive as a vulnerable position, where they might be asked to read, or they might be put on the spot for a question and have to think quickly, so they tend to hide all their their talents, because they're at risk of being caught out in, in in their sort of eyes, and I think it's really lovely that when they come to us they're given all those strategies and they're really boosted in terms of understanding what they do well you know one of the key things we offer for all our children in in key stage two and three is to have daily half an hour sessions with a specialist one-to-one dyslexia teacher and what is so lovely about what we are offer is that rather than in say a mainstream school where you might be taken out for an intervention. So again that sort of difference between you and your peers is really highlighted and inevitably they're taken out sort of what you know the the, the fun sort of lessons like music and art and drama. We've got 12 one-to-one teachers which means that the entire class goes at the same time and they each go in their half an hour slot throughout the morning. And having that one-to-one input, it just really empowers the children. You know, they really feel heard, they really they sort of get to understand what their particular set of skills are, and then they get to be able to celebrate it themselves. So they they don't hide their light anymore. And I think that that's the big difference.
0: I think that's so important as well. It really is. I re- I remember at my primary school having to have the extra dyslexia teacher teaching during my <laughs> lunch breaks. And I could see, and it's almost like torture. All my friends below me playing, I think they're playing touch rugby in the playground. I could see it from this class, but I was expecting to sit there and concentrate on on kind of extra English. and to be honest with you, I was completely burnt out by that stage, embarrassed that I couldn't be with my peers and just frustrated that I was missing out on the thing that I really actually quite enjoyed. Um, I, I should say as well, that model of having that tuition in the way that the the unicorn does, that's really unique. So there's a lot of dyslexia schools out there who you'll be taught in small classes and you'll be taught throughout your school day by dyslexia teachers. But that extra kind of one to one tuition on top of that, it, from what I've seen, is is unique to the unicorn and such an amazing thing to have, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. It, you know, it, it makes such a difference to children because, you know, they have the same teacher every day, usually for two years. So they get a really lovely relationship with them. And we find, you know, they really get to know them. So they get to know if they've got a particular interest or something, and they can use that as a hook to get them to help them with their with their literacy or their, you know, their their maths or or, or any part of their learning. You know, using the assistive technology. You know, if you've got somebody who's got a particular interest, we've got one of our boys who's particularly interested in bird watching. So you know, he'll write about that. So because his one to one teacher knows him so well is making that connection, you know, connection is what it's all about, isn't it? And, you know, that ability to sort of communicate really effectively with a, with an adult. Yeah.
0: And as you say, two years with someone, in two years you're going to really know them and know how you can kind of enhance their learning experience and get the best out of them. So it's really yeah. amazing. And it,
1: the other thing is, is that, you know... A lot of schools, as you say, mainstream schools, sometimes they have dyslexia tutors coming in or some of our pupils, when they've been in mainstream, they may have might have then had a dyslexia tutor at home. Additionally, beauty of our model is, is that the one to one teachers liaise very, very closely with the class teachers. So it's not a separate thing, even though it is, you know, that really focused one to one sessions, you know, the class teachers and the one to one teachers meet at the beginning of the term to set the targets for the child. They talk and they liaise throughout the school day, you know, throughout the school year. So there's that real link between what's going on in the classroom and what's going on in the one-to-one. So those children, they're really getting those transferable skills because it's all well and good having a really intensive tutor. But they need to be able to take those skills and use them elsewhere.
0: Yeah, They need to generalise them, don't they? And if you've got unless you're doing it across the school day and you have that follow through between the tutor in the evening and the staff in the classroom then you are you're, you're always going to have missing gaps that you're not going to be able to generalize in that way um, and
1: i think it just becomes less of a chore as well if you have been able to generalize it and you know we we have we love it when you suddenly you can see that a child has started reading for pleasure and that is one of the huge transformations we make and that we really celebrate in the school when a child comes to us who is so reluctant to read because feels so self-conscious about it and then will be reading for pleasure. And it's just such a lovely, um, you know, achievement for them. Yeah. It's, it's
0: so interesting you say that because we we were just recording a podcast with uh, Olivia Kessel who's, whose daughter A, a goes to um, the Unicorn School and she was saying one of her major wins since um, A has, has gone to the unicorn, was recently um, using assisted technology. She wrote her own story. I think it was a 600-word story. And she would have never have dreamed of that beforehand. And she said the most important thing there was A actually wanted to do that, whereas before the idea of being creative in that way would not have been something that she would ever want to have done. Um,
2: yeah, and he was, you were saying as well, wasn't you, that, you know, by the time you started reading for pleasure, actually reading a book, he was a, a, a lot older. And That's
0: right. I I was um, I was saying earlier that I used to listen to audio books until I was about mm-hmm. 18. And then I went traveling abroad. Um, I think I was in somewhere like Bali and I, I was only about 18. And me and my cousin ended up on the wrong side of the island, on the honeymoon side of the island <laughs> with nothing to do. And I had a book with me. And because I had nothing to do, I started reading it and I've never stopped since. And now now I read all the time. And, you know, there's that saying, isn't there, which is with, with books, you can live a thousand lives. And if you don't have that experience, then you're never going to be able to do that. And I have friends who are dyslexic adults who still will not read books because they're worried about doing so, but they didn't have that experience of me of of. Having people build that confidence in you. So even at 18, I'd, re- I'd listen to lots of audiobooks. I was obviously engaging in my work at school and doing my A-vel- A levels. But to take it to the stage of, I suppose, reading for pleasure was a major thing. And that, you know, it is life changing because, as you say, you have a hundred thousand different people's life experiences in your head it's yeah. great
1: i agree i'm i'm a, I'm a huge reader i've always been a massive reader and i think that it's it for me it's what helps my people say what do you do for your mental health i read i walk my dog i read i, I listen to audiobooks as well and i think that it's so you know you are opening doors there for children to have that kind of input that experience because you learn so much when you read whatever you read, read. yeah of course you do it's
0: it's, it's amazing the sense that when I was seven years old and being taken to a dyslexic tutor who lived down the road, I used every excuse when I was in my mother's car not to go to that session. So the amount of times that I was suddenly fatally ill with something and could not go or was so tired I couldn't go. And obviously, I would end up having to go to the session. And it you know it felt like a chore. It didn't feel like fun. And I think in some respects, it put me off reading and writing even more because I felt like it was something that I had to do rather than something I wanted to do and then i when i went to my specialist dyslexic school appleford one of the the good amazing things was kind of making it fun making it something that everyone was doing again as we said earlier a situation where everyone's in the same boat as you so you're learning at the same speed and and pace and me and salad were talking beforehand and one of the first questions we get from parents when you're looking at their papers and you think well actually We can build a a package of support an EXD plan within a mainstream school, but reality-wise, your child would probably be better in somewhere like the unicorn, where they can build those skills and then maybe transfer at a later stage once they have got those skills. And one of the things we often get with parents originally is this idea that if you go to a special school, somehow... you you, basically your career choices and your life outcomes
2: aspirations yeah
0: are going to be worse and you know I do sit here and as a lawyer and say I went to a special school so obviously that that idea is wrong but it's interesting the other way around I suppose I I think well actually if you force your child or young person in a a setting where they can't (laughs) access it it's probably going to lead to those bad life outcomes whereas if they go to a setting where they build their confidence and their skills, like the unicorn, yeah. their life outcomes are usually going to be much greater than that.
2: So. Yeah. Have you got some examples of children who have come through the school and and gone on to have careers? Do they still keep in touch? Or? Yeah. You
1: know, we've got. You know, we've been going thirty years now, so we've got sort of a, a fairly long-standing alumni, and you know, they're in they're in all fields, really. You know, it's. Um, We've got somebody who's a vet. We've had somebody come in who's a lawyer. So, you know, they've, um you know people who've done really well in the fields of sport. You know, it really is 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 fascinating actually to see. And you know, we've currently just in recent years, um, uh, some of our leavers from recent years, we've got three or four in university at the moment. You know. Our year 11s this year. There's, you know, they're going on to do a, a range of different things. Some are go, some are going to do A levels. Some are going to do more vocational um, studies in 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 the local sixth form college. Um, so yeah, it's really it's really interesting. I think when you you do talk about that that sort of notion of you know being in a special school, but actually I think what we like to think about is is the child being in the right place for them. You know, especially when you throw in you know mental health. If you've got a child who's at mainstream but because cannot cope with that level, with the pressure, with, um, you know, the anxiety and there's not the mental health support, and then they can end up becoming school refusers. Whereas actually if they're in the right place and they're somewhere that understands them and understands their needs and they feel heard, and that's that's the key thing is that they feel their voice is heard, they're listened to. Um, that's just, that's essential. And that's where they can, then they're in school and they're learning and they're, you know, they are getting those qualifications that they wouldn't have got because They just wouldn't have had the strategies to cope in a mainstream school. I think what what I wanted to ask you, um, Alex, is as a parent,
2: um, when you get, you know, your independent reports from an educational psychologist that says something like um, the uh, curriculum needs to be differentiated at the point of delivery and your child needs to go to a special school, a special dyslexia school. What what does that look like at Unicorn? So you've explained to us about the, you know, 12 tutors that everybody goes all at the same time. So it's like a scheduled class, for example, and everyone goes off and has their one-to-one and then comes back and carries on with the rest of the class. Um, and I've had parents and young people, in fact, say to, say to me, you know they just talk my language. they explain it in a way that i that I just understand um what what is it for those uh, um it would be interesting to know what uni- the unicorn's model is for that to help parents who are thinking about transferring their children to a special mm-hmm. dyslexia school and what the difference actually is
1: um you know one of one of the key things you know and something we pride ourselves is on is um being what's called a communication friendly environment. Um, so it's it's reducing all the um, extra possible sensory overload, so that the, the children can focus. Um, for children with any kind of sensory processing disorder or any sort of level of ADHD, you know, if you're in a really busy environment, it's really hard to focus. Um, so we make sure our classrooms are, you know, simple, that it's it's directed, and the um, we have a sort of a one voice approach. So we sort of and we talk about that a lot, you know, t- using one voice, and um, so it's a calmer environment. So children feel, you know, they some children, you know, who who struggle with anxiety can end up in what's in sort of called a state of hypervigilance where they're so anxious all the time. They're not actually taking in the learning by reducing some of those sensory distractions. You know, that's where we can really focus them and we can support them to feel to feel safe. And then in terms of the the delivery of the curriculum, you know, there's we do an awful lot of pre-learning, recapping, over-learning, You know, if we've got some targets for a child um, to be focusing on, it's not a case where we'd say if we've seen them done it do it once or twice that we can say, right, yeah, they've got it. Because we know that with our children, especially those who struggle with working memory, we like to see them do it a few more times and really consolidate learning, you know, throughout each subject. So I think there's that sort of level of, I say, the structure of the lessons, the pre-learning, the over-learning but also just adapting the the lesson to each each child's needs and some we've got our integrated therapy approach so we've got a speech language therapist and an occupational therapist on site and rather than just doing their interventions and then and then leaving they they again liaise with the with the class teachers you'll often find them sitting in the classroom and they'll be advising the class teacher on ot strategies or salt strategies that they can use in the classroom and it's all focused towards making the environment conducive to the child's learning you know you've got 12 children in there each class has got one teacher one teaching assistant so there's a huge level of support and understanding the needs of the individual children i think
0: that's so important um the last bit you were saying as well about it being smaller classes of up to 12 because most of the experiences of the children we help is that there'd been a class of between about 28 to 30 students. Yeah,
2: so overwhelming. Um,
0: I remember that kind of classic thing of being told, uh, my parents being told that Adam seems to be daydreaming again. And it was just too much movement in the classroom, too much noise. I, you know, you, you just couldn't focus. And that's quite common with dyslexic students. Um, also, I had other needs as well. So I had issues with hearing as well. So being able to just process what a teacher is saying in that environment is really difficult. I think one of the key things for why somewhere like the unicorn is really brilliant is the differentiation at the point of teaching rather than from a a learning support assistant at the side. So Mm. all your kind of teachers are dyslexia trained and they're breaking down that learning at the point of teaching rather than the teacher addressing 30 students and then a learning school assistant assisting one student at the side of the room. And I, I think that makes such a major difference in terms of access to learning. And, you know, we talk about self-esteem. If you feel if you spent most of your education being unable to access a classroom, then suddenly turning up to a classroom and, and getting it. It's just an amazing experience.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely key. And I think it also really fosters independence as well, because if you've got a child who's got what's, you know, sometimes called the helicopter TA, somebody there with them all the time, um, when they then come to us and you can see that they've, you can tell the children who've been used to having that high level of support. Um, We also, you know, in terms of is how we not only sort of deliver the curriculum, but how we mark and give feedback. So that we, you know, it's it's at that point of doing the work, you know, they can go because we've got the small classes and, and the high ratio of teachers. You know, we've got in our whole school, we've got 108 pupils and we've got 57 members of staff, yeah. just to give you an idea of the amount of, of support that's just here. And that's that's across the board. Um, so there's there is that instant feedback. It's not just marking books and then giving them back and expecting the children to pick it up and, and react to that. You know, it's, it's far more involved with that, which means that the next steps are there and they're easier to take really is around the child
0: isn't it absolutely and i think what you you were saying there alex as well about the fact that you have a speech language therapist and an occupational therapist on site both coming into the classroom and providing therapy i think that shows you one of the things i was going to talk more about is if anyone's listening to the podcast and thinking well i think my child is dyslexic but i think there's other things happening there i mean that's quite typical um it's very rare that that you have a child who's just purely dyslexic, there's usually other things happening.
2: Mm.
0: And being in an environment where that's inbuilt and it's part of the kind of teaching approach also brings a completely different level to the kind of approach that you can use for a student who's got additional needs.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there generally is a comorbidity between dyslexia and something else. Um, and I think there is still the lack of understanding of that in, in mainstream. Um, and I think if you can make the adjustment, you know, I do a lot of... Um, teacher training and you know I always tend to mainstream teachers and I say chances are if you're making an adjustment for a neurodiverse child in your class that adjustment is going to benefit every child in your class trying to move away from that sense that oh how how am I possibly going to meet the needs of that one child when I've got another 29 in my class needing my support um and you know we talk a lot around you know it's it's equity not equality You know, equality is everybody having the same equities, everybody having the same chances. So it's giving the children what they need. So some of ours might have a standing desk because they find it really difficult to sit still. Some might have a wobble cushion. And these are all things that have been advised by the OT. Some might be sitting at a certain point in the classroom, like at the front with advice from the speech and language therapist. And, you know, there's there is we're sort of open for all those adjustments, but. What's really lovely, and I think this is where so many of our children, this is the feedback when we go around to, to our pupils and say, you know, why, why, what's great about being a unicorn, is that they're all so accepting of each other's different needs. And that is so key. They understand, you know, if somebody might be wearing ear defenders one day, or somebody has got a standing desk, or somebody's, you know, they just say, yeah, that's fine. They That's what they need. And I just think it would be lovely if, you know, <laughs> More widely, people could be that accepting that sometimes people just need different things. like our office.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, it, sounds, it does sound like our office. Um, so we have a kind of a very neurodiverse um, team. So obviously you have someone like myself who's severely dyslexic. You have Douglas who's who's autistic as well. And you've got Kevin and our team who's got a visual impairment. And it's funny what you were saying about how an adjustment for one person can actually benefit everyone else. So because of my dyslexia and my speed of writing and checking is awful, I I learned years ago to dictate most of my work and we have on an, an, an our team really good <coughs> um, dictation systems and the typing comes back and we check over it and we get it out. But because I was doing that and it was seen as being very efficient, the rest of the team now do it. So most of the team are in our, in our, in our Geldards team all dictate their work because it's more efficient and fast and i don't think that would have ever happened if someone like myself wasn't in that team yeah. um, it's
2: fantastic i get so many tips from everybody yeah i just i just i'm a sponge i pick up everything that everybody's doing and i'm like that's a brilliant idea i'm gonna do that too
0: and i remember years ago i always give it as an example with with douglas i remember him trying to sell me two screens so Douglas was doing this before it's now the the norm. So I think most offices you go to now, you have two screens. But this was about, probably about seven years ago. And he was trying to sell to me that I needed to have two screens. And I, I, I was resisting it massively. I said, I don't need two screens. I'm very happy with one. It's just gonna completely complicated stuff. Anyway, I came into the office the next day. Douglas had set my computer up in two screens. And I rather annoyingly and reluctantly had to admit to him that it was much better. And I couldn't believe that my life was... Um, was so different with it Um, so I think it can be really hugely beneficial I think it's a good example to give because maybe maybe a parent won't see why that's a benefit to have say a different teaching approach used and why that could be beneficial to other people but I think with a work example you can see how a work environment is changed by that and how important that is
2: yeah I think what you guys are what we think you are very good at is recognizing what kind of society needs and what we need to help our children. And I think that's, you've done that by, you've started the unicorn. It's been going for 30 years, but because of your cohorts coming in and like you said, the comorbidity of your cohorts that you can see, I think you've recognized um, that there is a need for more specialist schools, which is why you've started the road to developing the Phoenix so, um, tell us a little bit about the Phoenix and what your plans are with the Phoenix. I know we're all very excited to see what's coming. Anybody
1: working in education is aware there is a there's a there's a crisis in terms of of spaces for SEN. You know, there's been a lot the news. I myself have spoken on on the on the BBC around it. You know, just around that there's there's not enough there's not enough spaces for um, the children to meet all their needs, and we're now at a situation where there are huge numbers of children at home. Um, being uh, like educated by parents, educated at home. And whilst they might be getting an education, they're not getting those key social skills, those relationships, yes. all those things, you know, that are so key. So, you know, we've been aware of that. We get a huge number of consultations from local authorities um, and some really far afield ones as well. You know, we're based in Oxfordshire, but we get um, consultations from around eight different local authorities. And, you know, it's really tough for us to read and to, to have that awareness that we're not the right school for that particular child. Um, when we get any inquiries at all through our admissions, you know, we we read the documentation really carefully, we read the reports, and our first question always, can we meet the need of this child? Not are they right for us, are we right for them? Because that's that's the most important thing. And you know, the reason we get in, we're all working in education is because we care and we care about education of these young people. So it's been really hard to read a lot of them and think we're we're not right for them and then wonder if we say no, where are they going to go? So, you know, since I've been at the Unicorn, we've been having conversations around this saying, you know, what's the possibility of us looking to open a sister school so we can support those children with more complex needs? And it's something we're, We're really passionate about, you know, as I say, we want to support as many people as possible Um, using our sort of core unicorn model of giving that individual bespoke care, you know, considering mental health, looking at the whole sort of all the stakeholders, really the whole community, the parents, the staff, the pupils, how we can work together. And I think that the unicorn model, even though it is a specialist school for dyslexia, you know, it's we would be able to replicate that in a way that supports children with more complex needs.
0: And when you talk about complex needs um, for, I suppose, profile students, what would the type of students that the Phoenix take be?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really broad. And as I say, and with every child that we sort of consider, we look at in them individually. So I don't like to sort of make a as as we've been sort of generalisation this, but it would be the children who have maybe a diagnosis of autism, but need a, a higher level of support than the children that we that we currently have, say, at the, at the UNICORN. I At the UNICORN, I, I hate to use the term high-functioning um, autism, but that is more the sort of profile of the children in our school. Um, and we want to be able to use the children who will need a bit more support. You know, we offer GCSEs um, at, at the UNICORN. You know, we're anticipating that the sort of qualifications we'd be offering would be more around the life skills like there's the the, you know there's BTECs in just core skills OCR and like life and living skills and it really is focusing on independence so we want to be able to equip these young people with the opportunity that they they can go out they can you know have a good social life friendship groups they can have a job you know they can be a really positive members of the community and, and and get that feedback as well so it's it's children who just need that Bit more really than what we currently offer.
0: I mean that's amazing. I I cannot tell you how many times we get asked by clients desperate in 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 the Oxfordshire area over choices of school because you know there's only certain amount. A lot of schools I think in the Oxfordshire area are also full or not appropriate. And I think there's a. I mean the government recognises there is a desperate need for more specialist schools. And I think the unicorn model, which is amazing, kind of seeing that kind of replicated for those types of students would be amazing. So I think it's a great project. It's
2: fantastic news. We're really looking forward to it because it's, there's really not much up there in that kind of that top band around London home counties just up there. So um, really, can look, really looking forward to it. When do you, have you got a
1: date for when it's going to we open? Haven't, unfortunately, with with any of these things, it's sort of Location, location, location. It's establishing the property that would be, that would work for us. You know, we, it's such a, it's such a huge thing and this is involving, you know, young people and their futures. We've got to make sure whatever we do, we get it right and we really think about it. So that's the sort of what we're, we're at the right now. You know, we've done a lot of the paperwork and we've got our vision all down on paper and, um, And it changes all the time, you know, because like with anything, if you work, in my experience working in SEN, you know, the the children I work with teach me more than I could ever teach them. And, you know, I like to keep abreast of that. I like to keep abreast of the latest research. Autism is still a relatively young diagnosis. It's only been in the DSM since the 1970s. So, you know, in terms of the field of academic research around education, it's still it is relative infancy. So we're always learning and we want to when we do open the school, we want it to be, you know, uh, be the sort of best sort of piece of action, research, uh, like education, you know, that really benefits young people. But does it in a really innovative way, so it's it's constantly evolving at the moment.
0: It sounds really exciting. It
1: does. Um, it does it's exciting for us.
2: I think um, our discussion, um, Alex, today has been has been really invaluable. Um, I think for for me, the main thing that I wanted to talk to you about was those parents that do come to us and are like, do say, well, you know, my my daughter's got dyslexia, but I really want her to stay in a mainstream school because i think it's just going to be better for her and because they don't know enough about a special dyslexia school and they don't know how that curriculum is differentiated and they do think like you said adam um aspirations are limited and kind of further and higher education are then limited but i think it's going to be um it's really going to resonate with our audience um your explanation of what the unicorn does and and the fact that actually it's it's probably you know for the best and you should come, kind of come and have a look at least
1: I, do, I, I i i do i really sort of you know empathize with the parents and it's because it's a huge step you know i'm a parent myself um and any considerations you make regarding your your child's education is huge and we get we get families who relocate you know internationally to come to to the unicorn you know they because it's and it, 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 we appreciate what a massive step it is for parents but even if you're not moving geographically, making that emotional step of saying, "No, I am going to do this. I'm going to say that my child needs to be in a specialist school." I appreciate that that can be really, really tough for some parents. Um, and what we try and do is just sort of a encourage them, you know, show them around, sort of show that we we can it's not it's not a different course. You know, it's it's just a a better course for their child at that time. and it they still have those same aspirations. Um, and we always encourage our parents, you know, we, we have a really lovely parent community to talk to each other and, and to sort of learn from each other as well, because that's really
0: important. Well, thank, thank you so much, um, Alex. It's, it's I always find it quite therapeutic for me being a dyslexic person, talking to a dyslexic school about what they do and, and hearing such great stories about how well your students are doing and what you guys are doing to kind of, I suppose, help the next generation kind of come through. And I think that kind of, Equity of opportunity is such a, an invaluable thing to say. And seeing that actually come to fruition is amazing. So th-
1: thank, thank you. you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.